appreciate that. All right, let's take our Bibles tonight, and uh, we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. It seems like forever uh, since we've uh, done our regular Thursday night Bible study. Uh, it's been, uh, I don't know how many weeks it's been because of our special prayer meetings we were having and other things going on. Uh, but I'm excited to kind of get back into it. Uh, we've been uh, taking this year on Thursday night and uh, looking at uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the tabernacle there in the Old Testament. And the reason we're doing that is because we, Lord willing, next year are getting ready to go through a building project. And uh, we're looking at different building projects in the Bible. And I think I said this last Thursday night, but uh, you know what you find out when you go through the Scripture? God's all about building stuff. Amen? In fact, if anything, Jesus, think about it. What what trade did God allow him to be when he was here? He was a carpenter. Amen? Jesus literally, physically built stuff when he was here. By the way, he ain't done building stuff. Amen? He's building stuff right now. And so uh, God's all about building. He's all about going forward. He's all about us as Christians. Uh, occupy until he comes. And so because of that, we're looking at different building projects in the Scripture. And we've been talking about the tabernacle. And uh, that's a, I don't know what y'all have felt about this, but uh, to me this is a phenomenal study. And the reason is, is because of everything in that tabernacle what it points to. Amen? Listen, God is a God of order. Everything God does is for a reason, for a purpose. All the way down to the collar of all the different materials that were used were all for a reason, all for a purpose, and it all points to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love how God just interwoves it all throughout all this. And so uh, we will continue that this evening. Find your place, stand with me together as we read the Scripture. I'm going to read uh, the, toward the end of the chapter, Leviticus chapter 4, and uh, begin reading in verse 33, and we'll read down through verse 35. The Bible says, And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering, and slay it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall take the blood of the sin offering with his finger, and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar And he shall take away all the fat thereof, as the fat of the lamb is taken away from the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them upon the altar, according to the offerings made by fire unto the Lord. And the priest shall make an atonement for his sin that he hath committed, and it shall be forgiven him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you once again for allowing us to be in your house, God. Thank you for the singing of your praises. Uh, Lord, the prayer requests that were given. And Lord, here in just a few moments as we go to a prayer time and bring these things to you, God. Thank you for being a God who hears and answers prayer. Now, as we turn our attention to your word, I ask that you speak to our hearts through it tonight, God. Show us some things. Teach us some things, God. Yes, fill our heads with knowledge, but more importantly, fill our hearts with wisdom. And we love you and we thank you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. May you see it. The last things we've been talking about uh, were, are the different offerings uh, that God commanded to be offered. And there are five different offerings that were commanded to be offered. And uh, tonight we're going to look at, and I think we'll have time to do it, the last two. And, uh, and this will cover the five different offerings. Just a quick review since it's been a few weeks since we've gone over this. The first offering God uh, wanted to be offered was the burnt offering. And uh, the burnt offering uh, was a picture of complete surrender to God. And it was a picture of Christ as our substitute. And by the way, folks, be thankful for that. Amen? Be thankful that Jesus Christ was willing to substitute hey, His life for mine. Amen? And uh, His blood uh, for, for my sin. 
and we're thankful for that. And that burnt offering pictured uh, that of Christ and his work of substitution on the cross. And it was a voluntary offering. The second offering we talked about uh, was the meat offering, sometimes called the meal offering or the grain offering. And it was, again, a voluntary offering, and it was a picture of consecration of one's substance. The fact that God blesses us, and uh, we ought to be willing to, uh, our substance that He gives us, be willing to give a portion back to Him. Amen? And by the way, folks, you say, well, uh, I, God hasn't given me that. I've worked for it myself. Well, excuse me, who gave you the breath and uh, to, to breathe in your lungs? Who causes your heart to beat? Who allowed you to get out of bed this morning? Amen? It was God. And yeah, whether the lost world recognizes or not, it's the providential hand of God that allows us to prosper and allows us to have the substance that we need in life. And you know what? We ought to be thankful and not be selfish and be willing as Christians to offer back to Him. Amen. Number uh, three, we talked about the peace offering. Uh, the peace offering, again, was a voluntary offering, and it represented being reconciled to God. Man, I love that term, being reconciled. Uh, that word reconciled means that we now have peace with God. Amen? And I'm going to tell you right now, we weren't born at peace with God. That's right. Yeah. No, no, no. I think yeah. Brother Fry said it uh, on Sunday when he was preaching. He was talking about how that uh, don't ever fall for the lie. Oh, we're all just children of God. Right. No, we're not. That's right. No, we're not. In fact, before we're saved, come on now. Hey, here's a Bible reality check. Amen? Can you handle it tonight? I think you can. Yeah. Bible reality check. You and I were born as children of the devil. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, we were. Amen. We were born on the road to hell. Oh, yeah, we were. Amen. Let me tell you, if you're going to be saved, you've got to detour off that road we were all born yeah. on. And praise God. God made a way for mankind to be reconciled unto him. And that's what the peace offering was a picture of. Again, a voluntary offering. Now, tonight, we're going to look at the last two offerings. Neither one of these offerings were voluntary. They were mandatory. And the reason they were mandatory is because of what they pictured and what they, uh, the, the, the purpose for them. And so the first offering we're going to look at tonight is the sin offering. The sin offering. As we read there in Leviticus, we talked about how that the priest, uh, this was the, 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 the portion we read, was as the priest would offer this sin offering for himself. And if you read back in the previous chapter, we're going to take time to do it, uh, but we find that also the sin offering was offered for the whole congregation, it was offered for the rulers of the leadership, and it was also offered for the common people. By the way, that covered every single class of people in the nation of Israel that was covered under the sin offering. The sin offering, by the way, the main purpose for the sin offering was to atone for sins against God. For atone for sins against God. By the way, folks, all sins against God. Amen? All sin ultimately is against God. And uh, so uh, the sin offering was an atonement for that. By the way, you know what we noticed here? Verse 34, let's go back and look at it. All right, notice the wording in this verse. By the way, not a very pleasant verse. Notice what it says, verse Le Le Leviticus 4, 34. And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I meant to read verse 33, but the words still continue. Back to verse 33. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay it for a sin offering, the place where they kill the burnt offering. And what you find when you read about the sin offering? Killing, slaying, blood. That's right. yeah. By the way, always remember this, sin cost. Yeah. Sin cost. 
By the way, Satan so deceptive back to Eve in the garden when, when he told her. By the way, flat out lied to her. By the way, he's the father of lies. Amen? Okay? I'm going to tell you, Satan does not have your best interest at heart at all. All he wants to do, the Bible says, the thief is to come not but to kill, steal, and destroy. That's all he wants to do to your life. Satan's not your friend. By the way, if you're a Christian, you ought to be your avowed enemy. Amen? You ought to be your avowed enemy. All right? I'm going to tell you, he'll come in real slick-like. He'll come in and sometimes tell us things with temptations that we want to hear, and he'll play on our human desires. I'm going to tell you, you bite into that apple, and, and I'm going to tell you, there's poison at the end of that. Amen? It's going to end just the way it ended with Adam and Eve, just the way it ends with everybody who rejects Jesus Christ, and that is sin, death, and hell. Amen? Sin, death, and hell. Let me tell you something, folks. Sin has to be paid for. Sin has to be paid for. So the sin offering represents, and here's the word we're going to look at for a minute. Man, now this is an exciting word. Atonement for sin. An atonement for sin. By the way, I love the King James Bible. Amen. I love the wording of the King James Bible. Sometimes people talk to me about the King James Bible. Well, why do you only use the King James? It's so hard to understand. Well, let me just say this. The King James Bible is written on an eighth grade reading level. Here's the problem. It's not the King James is hard to understand. We just as a society have got we don't need to dumb God down. We need to bring ourselves up Amen. to God's level. Amen. By the way, if you're saved, you've got the author of the book living inside of you. If you just ask him, he'll teach and show you what it's all about. All right? By the way, again, another lie of the devil. You know what he did? The very first, his very first conversation to humanity. You know what it was? Yea, hath God said. Attacking the word of God. By the way, he's never stopped, nor will he ever stop. Amen. We don't need to get caught into this new fangled. Well, let's just, you know, get something easy to read. No, hey, how about this? Let's study to show ourselves a proven to God. Amen. Amen. Right? Let's not dumb God down. And so, uh, but well, I love that word atonement. What's that word mean? Man, it's, a, it's got a powerful meaning. Listen to this. Atonement was the act of making, notice now, satisfaction for a sin by which the guilt is done away. And the obligation of God to punish the sin is canceled. That is a powerful statement right there. Let me read it to you again. Think about what, I, what, what that word atonement means. The act of making satisfaction for a sin by which the guilt is done away and the obligation of God to punish the sin is canceled. Here's the one word we use to, 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 to describe that phrase I just read. You know what it is? Forgiven. Forgiven. Amen? And because of that sin offering that was made, folks, listen, sin was atoned for. Now, in the Old Testament, it was not a permanent atonement for sin. Because, by the way, I'm gonna, we're going to go there, and I'm going to show you here in just a minute. Why not? Amen? But those, those animals that were sacrificed, listen, folks, that they were what they were. They were animals. Okay? It was a temporary covering for sin. You say, well, why in the world would they have to do that for if it was just temporary? Because every time they shed the blood of an animal, every time they killed, every time they slew, every time they put that up on the altar, it was a picture of what one day was going to come that wouldn't just be temporary anymore. It was a picture of the shed blood of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that one day would be shed on Calvary's cross. Amen? By the way, people in the Old Testament were saved just the way we are now. We look back to the cross, they look forward to the cross. Amen? 
And that blood sacrifice was their way of saying, we believe in a coming, a Lamb of God that's going to be slain for our sins. Amen. And so that, that word atonement means forgiven. By the way, the sin offering made clear the responsibility of the people for their sins. When they brought that animal, you know what they were saying to God? We're guilty, God. We're guilty. We need atonement for our sin, God. We're guilty. By the way, that's why it was mandatory. You know why? Everybody is guilty. Everybody is guilty. Amen. What's the Bible say? Romans 3, uh, 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Yeah. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Hey, you know what mankind's problem is? It's a sin problem. You know why we face what we face in our world today? It's a sin problem. Amen? And listen, folks, that's always been our problem, and always will be our problem, and that's why the pressure shed on that cross to atone for sin. Amen? And so by bringing a sin offering, it was admission of guilt. By the way, if you're going to be saved, you're going to be born again, you know what the first thing you must realize? You must admit guilt. Admit, hey, I am a sinner, God. By the way, what's that word sin mean? That word sin, believe it or not, is an archer's term. And it simply means to miss the mark. Right? Back there in my office on my wall, I got some uh, arrows back there. A time, a few times in my life where I got, and I go and use the word lucky, amen. I wasn't trying to do it, uh, but I didn't miss the mark. I got arrows back there where I would what they call a Robin Hood. I've literally shot an arrow inside of another arrow where it splits the knot perfectly in two, and it sticks it just like that. I've done that. I've done a variation of that three different times in my life. Is it because I'm a great archer? I would love to tell you that's the answer. The answer is a big fat no. Amen. It's just called dumb luck. Okay. And I had a, I, I, I had a little bit of dumb luck. That's why I'll never go to Las Vegas. I'll never ever gamble. I've had just enough dumb luck in my life that I would cost me everything. Amen. I mean, one time I was playing golf. All right, hit a hole in one. I've had one of those. One time playing golf. I bounced the ball off of two trees into the hole. I promise. There was a witness. Amen. Bunch of dumb luck. One time as I was deer hunting, as a deer was jumping across the field, my last shot, I shot it right in the head and dropped it. Amen. The first deer I ever killed, it was running across the field, and I shot it and dropped it in its track. So there you go. Am I a great hunter? Am I a great golfer? Absolutely not. Amen. I just got a bunch of dumb luck in my life. Okay. But no, that archer's term, sin means to miss the mark. By the way, you know what the mark is? It's God Himself. It's the holiness of God. It's the righteousness of God. Let me tell you, every single person, I don't care how good we try, no matter how sincere we may be, every time we try to hit the mark of righteousness of our God, you know what we're always going to do? Fall short. Fall short. Mankind cannot hit the mark of God's holiness and God's righteousness. Thus, Jesus Christ had to come. Amen? And, of course, he did. And the sin offering represents the atonement for our sins. Now, let's tie this now into uh, some New Testament here. Take your Bibles. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Man, I love these epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote. Man, they are packed full of such, so many good truths. And uh, especially the book, uh, these apostles here, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I love these, I love these books here. But the Colossians chapter 1, and I know we've read these verses before, but man, they're good. And let's look at them again tonight. And I'll just kind of read through you here, uh, read down through you, uh, through the verses here and point out a couple truths. Let's pick it up in verse 12, all right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, the Bible says this, Giving thanks unto the Father, 
which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That one verse is packed full of a ton of doctrinal truth right there. Amen? All right, we won't even get into it. If I, don't, if I don't just keep reading, I'll start preaching every verse, all right? We'll never get through this tonight. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Hey, aren't you thankful, folks? We've been delivered from the power of darkness. The power of darkness. We're delivered from that. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, sin no more hath dominion over us. It doesn't rule over us. It doesn't reign over us because Jesus Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness. Man, that's a powerful truth. In whom we have redemption, notice here, even uh, the redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's atonement right there. Amen? Redemption means we've been bought back. What was the price? Through His blood. And through His blood we have the forgiveness of our sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by Him were all things created. There you go. He was the Creator. Amen? Genesis chapter 1. You find all aspects of the Trinity. You see the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters. You see Jesus Christ there. You see the Father there. Hey, all aspects of the Godhead were part of the creation of this world. Amen? Created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Why is this world still doing what it's doing? Why is the sun still coming up in the east and setting in the west? Why is the, the, the stars and the moon and everything doing what it's doing? I'll tell you why. And not just not just a reason, a person. Amen? You know why? Jesus Christ. Amen. Anytime He would want, He would think a thought, it would all be gone. That's how powerful He is. It's all... By the way, scientists... All right. I, I, by the way, I love how science finally catches up with the Bible. Amen? It ain't the Bible trying to prove science. It's science catching up with the Bible. But they tell us now, because we have the technology to literally break down uh, molecules and particles and atoms and all that stuff, all right? And I'm not a scientist. I don't get all the terminology right. But they tell us that there is a, a small particle at the base of all molecules, and they call it the God particle. Because they the, the way it, it, it functions, the way it works, and even scientists have to admit that they don't understand it. Amen? Well, what, what is that? That Jesus Christ is before all things, and by Him all things consist. That's what it is. Amen? Right? He is the head of the body, the church. By the way, I say it all the time. This ain't my church, this ain't your church. This is His church. Amen. Amen. Yeah. By the way, understanding that this is Jesus Christ's church ought to help us behave a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And I'm just talking about when we're in the building, because the building isn't really the church. It's just where the church meets right. at. Amen. Yeah. But how we treat one another, how we act toward one another. Hey, it's important. You know why? Because the church belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. That's another big fancy terminology for atonement. Amen? Amen? By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works. By the way, remember I told you we're all born on the way to hell? That's what it's talking about there. Yet now hath 
He reconciled. Amen. Amen. You hath He atoned. You hath He bought for Himself. In the body of His flesh, through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. That is atonement right there. Amen. By the way, those verses describe why He was able to atone for our sin. Why He had the power to atone for our sin. And if you keep reading through that chapter, His his atonement, His blood that He purchased, wasn't just powerful enough to deliver us from our eternal sins that would would send us to hell and keep us out of heaven. Hey, His blood atoned for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Amen? That's how powerful the blood of Jesus Christ is. By the way, that's how much He loves you and I. He'd be willing to shed His blood for us on that cross and atone for our sin. Let's go to one other place here. Book of Hebrews. I love this. Hebrews really gets into nitty-gritty details here and talks more. Hebrews is a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It kind of ties all in what happened in the Old, why it happens in the New, and it kind of gives us some clues into all those pictures of the Old Testament, how they all tie into our day and age. Hebrews chapter 9 Again, familiar passages here, but they go right along with what we're talking about. Let's pick it up here. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. The Bible says this, And almost all things, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Oh, you Christians, you have such a bloody religion. You better believe we do. Oh, yeah. By the way, you'll never, ever, 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 ever walk into this church and find the songs about the blood taken out of these songs. It's never going to happen. Hey. People's told me, I don't know, because this is the only church in town I've ever attended. The people who've attended other churches have told me that there's churches in this town who've taken the, the songs about the blood of Jesus out of their phone books. It'll never happen here. Amen. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Jesus' blood had to be shed on Calvary. By the way, you know why his death was so horrible? You know why it was so painful? You know why it was so cruel? So that all of his blood could be shed. All of it could be shed. I won't even go all through all through that right now, but man, his blood wasn't just spilled, it was shed for us. Amen. I know one of those songs we sing and, and it talks about how that the blood of the lamb was spilt. Well, you know, my pastor growing up, he didn't like that. He's like, Everybody get your songbooks out. He's like, see that where it says spilt, mark it out. Write the word shed above spilt. Because the blood of Jesus Christ wasn't just spilled. It was shed. Amen. Amen. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern, verse 23, of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. He's talking about the tabernacle. And by the way, remember he's talking about the pattern? Okay? Remember? Remember I've taught you this? The earthly tabernacle was a pattern of the tabernacle that is in heaven. It was a pattern. God showed Moses on the Mount Sinai what the pattern would be. Hey, Moses got a sneak peek. Moses saw the blueprints of the one that was already built in heaven, and God said, make it like that. Okay? So the one on earth had the temporary, but notice now it talks about the things in heavens with better sacrifices than these. Okay, this ties into the resurrection. Remember after Jesus resurrected, and again, I've talked to you this before, but let's go talk about it again, amen? But uh, when Jesus resurrected, and Mary Magdalene saw him and didn't recognize him at first, and when he said her name, she recognized him. But remember what Jesus said to her? He said, don't touch me. That's kind of an odd thing to say. Why did he say that? He said, because I have not yet ascended. 
unto my father and your father. What was he talking about? Hey, he had to take his blood to heaven and put it on the mercy seat. Amen? Amen. And he did do that. And that's why when God sees us, He doesn't see us. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says the, that God, that Jesus' righteousness was imputed to our account. Amen. I meant His righteousness, what He had, was put on our account. Amen? Amen. It's kind of like uh, someone that's a multi-billionaire. And you know what? When you go to pay your bills, they don't look at your account. They don't have near that many zeros in it. Amen? <laughs> no, instead, hey, my, my great rich uncle who is a multi-billionaire, we're paying it out of his account. Amen? That's kind of a silly illustration, but truth be told, folks, it's not our account. It's Jesus Christ's account. So when God sees us, he doesn't see us anymore if you've been saved. He sees the precious blood of his son, Jesus Amen. Christ. Amen. Amen. And the righteousness that comes along with Amen. that. Verse 24, for Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figure of the true. All right? Hey, when Christ put his blood on the mercy seat, he didn't go to the one in, in, in the temple. By the way, Bible scholars believe that in Jesus' day, that the Ark of the Covenant wasn't even in the temple. And that, that's what Bible scholars believe uh, who, who've studied that. In fact, that, that's the big mystery question. Where is the Ark of the Covenant today? All right, some people, by the way, uh, it, it wasn't in a warehouse found by Indiana Jones, all right, just in case you thought that might have been where it was at, all right? Some people say, again, I, I have no idea, all right, this is just some speculation, but it's interesting that there was a cavern that was literally underneath Golgotha, and that when Christ's blood was flowing down from the cross, that it flowed through the ground and literally flowed on top of the mercy seat, that the physical mercy seat, okay? Now, I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is this. According to this verse, Jesus Christ didn't go into the earthly temple to put his blood on the mercy seat. He went to the one where it really counts at. Amen? Notice what it says. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now notice here, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let me tell you what I'm not a fan of at all. And that are these, first of all, I'm not a big people that, you know, think that they're drawing power from, you know, symbolism. Okay? Like sometimes people think that they wear a cross around their neck that gives them some kind of, you know, protective power. Okay, listen, folks, you've got all the power you need. It lives inside of you. It's called the Spirit of God. Amen. I don't need to wear a cross around my neck to have the power of God in my life. Okay? But I'm really not a fan of people that have crucifixes with Jesus still on them. By the way, that's a Catholic thing. Okay? And I'm not against, listen, I'm not against Catholic folk. I'm going to be honest with you. Most Catholic folk are on their way to hell. You know why? Because they don't believe what the Bible says to believe that it takes you to heaven. They think you've got to go through Mary to get to Jesus Christ. Where do you find that in the Word of God? It ain't nowhere in there. Amen? Okay, and by the way, we, we need to love those folks. We need to give them the gospel. And I'll be honest with you, folks, some of the most hostile people I've ever met in my life out door knocking are Catholics. You know why? Because they're they're deceived with... And I'm telling you, false religion is going to send more people to hell than anything else in the world. Amen? But I'm not a fan of that. You know why? Because Jesus Christ isn't still on the cross. Right. He was there. Six hours he was there. That's all it was. Six hours. And what he accomplished in those six hours by hanging on Calvary was enough to attend, uh, atone for sin for the whole world forever. Amen? Amen. 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 It says verse 27, 
as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this to judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Man, talking about being saved there and our security. Then verse 10, for chapter 10 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually. What are we talking about? What we're talking about tonight? Sin offering? Okay. Could they make the comers thereunto perfect? Remember I said earlier, it was a temporary covering. Because all it was was temporary. Your sin would never permanently be atoned for by bringing a bull, bringing a goat, bringing a lamb. Was it necessary in that time period for God's uh, people, the nation of Israel? Yes. But the Bible clearly tells us those things could never make them perfect. Birds keep reading. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, right? The sacrifices eventually ceased. When, they, when, when uh, uh, Israel was taken into captivity, those sacrifices ceased. By the way, they're not going on today. And you know what the Jews are getting ready to do? Rebuild the temple. You know why? So they can start the sacrifices again. You know why? Because they reject Jesus Christ as their Messiah. That's why the temple is going to be built. That's why Antichrist is going to come and deceive the Jewish people. Listen, folks, they're still looking for their Messiah to come. They missed the fact that He already came. Right? And it says this in the worshipers, uh, verse 2, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. And it's talking about how that every year the priest would go in uh, to the Holy of Holies and put the blood on the mercy seat. And listen, year by year they were reminded sin has to be paid for. Uh, we, uh, an animal has to shed his blood. It's a continual thing. Verse 4, For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Now listen, I ain't just up here blowing smoke. Everything I'm telling you is straight up Bible. Amen? And though, though, though it was just temporary, they couldn't forgive sin. Well, let's skip on down. It's about to get really, really good. Amen. Verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified, here we go, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Here we go. Let's say those three words together at the end of verse 10. You ready? Once for all. Once for all. We sing a song, do we not? One of our, uh, out of our head, but once for all. O sinner, receive it. Once for all, brother, believe it. Amen? Listen, when Christ died, it was once for all. Amen? Once for all. Verse 11, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12, But this man, but this man, and I love because you know what it's talking about when it's talking about this man? It's talking about Jesus Christ as he became the Son of Man. The Son of God became the Son of Man. By the way, never ever for one second laid aside his deity. He always was God. All he did was lay aside for his time his heavenly position. To come to this earth. By the way, to condescend. To be made low. Amen? Yeah. Take him on himself. The book of Philippians tells us the form of a servant was made in the likeness of a man. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, here we go, four yeah. sins forever! Right. Amen. Amen. Man, that's exciting. Amen. I mean, come on. How can you not get excited as a Christian when you get who Jesus Christ is, what he did, what he's doing now? Right. 
Hey, look what else it says, verse 11. Here we go. Notice what it says, which, uh, I'm sorry, verse 12. Notice the last phrase, sat down on the right hand of God. By the way, think about this for a minute, okay? Usually, most of the time, okay? By the way, let's say at the end of the day, when you finally get a chance to sit down at the end of the day, you know what that signifies? Work's done for the day, right? Work is over. Time to sit down. Everything's been accomplished. Kick back. Get a little bit of R&R for a little bit. Well, you know what Jesus, the fact that when he sat down at the right hand of the Father signified, it signified what he said when he died at the very end. It is finished. Amen. Done, sealed, signed, delivered. All principalities. Hey, hey, all you demons. Hey, all you devils. Hey, you uh, Satan himself. Guess what? Done, taken care of. Amen. Sin is paid for. Amen. Sin is paid for. Amen. Now, that's something to get excited about. You know what, though, I love about what Christ, as he sat down at the right hand of the Father, he didn't just sit back in his heavenly recliner, sipping iced tea, you know, going to sleep, waiting for the Father to tell him to come back and get us. Oh, no. It didn't mean he ain't busy up there. It just meant that aspect of his mission was accomplished. Right? Now he's got a new mission. Two things, twofold. We already talked about, I think, last week. First of all, John chapter, I go to prepare a place for you. He's, he's building now. I have a feeling he's probably the GC. He's probably up there telling the angels what to do, how to do it. But make never ever once in a while he's like, all right, guys, come on. i got to take care of this myself. <laughs> Maybe steps in there with his heavenly tool belt and whatever he's doing to make those mansions, whatever they're going to be like. Maybe I guarantee you, I'm almost, almost positive, because he said, I go to prepare a place for you. There's probably some, some handiwork of Jesus Christ in every single mansion. Amen. By the way, think about that. You know, uh, 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 he didn't. I don't believe he spoke them into existence. I believe they were physically constructed, amen, because it speaks of his craftsmanship. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, our new building is going to be awesome, okay? I, I, it's it's going to be great. we got some killer ideas where we're kicking around about uh, this place that you're really going to love. That's going to be really White River-ish, amen? And uh, it ain't going to be your typical, welcome to the sanctuary. <laughs> oh, no! Amen. It's going to be something that I really think is going to fit us and our area and all that. But, but that's another thing, all right? But how beautiful that's going to be. But could you imagine when you finally get there and if you've been the right kind of servant? By the way, here's just food for thought for a minute, okay? Remember what Jesus said, in my house are many mansions, okay? I personally believe based upon our service for the Savior, I don't think every Christian's getting a mansion. Now, that may be a little riserology a little bit, Okay. But, you know, the Bible does teach that rewards based upon labor. And, may, and, and maybe it may not be as good of a mansion as somebody else's mansion. I don't know how it's all going to be. But I'm going to you think about it for a minute. You think that Jesus Christ would, you know, reward the person who, you know what, yeah, they got saved, but, man, just like a lot. Okay? Live for themselves, follow the lust of the world, and for the most part, never knew they were a Christian. Compared to a Christian who, you know what, I'm following Jesus Christ. Hey, the world behind me, the Christ, turning back and turning back. I mean, come on. You think the rewards are going to be even? They're not. God, hey, there is no fair police in heaven. Okay? Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right? You either serve the Lord and get rewarded for it, or you'll be saved so as by fire, according to the Word of God. But all that to say, amen, those mansions up in heaven. Could you imagine walking into that mansion? Not what we deserve, 
Not what we earn for ourselves, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And just looking around and seeing that. Amen? So if he's doing that, and not only is he doing that, probably the main work he's doing as he's seated is being our mediator. Amen? Making uh, The Bible says there, I believe it's in, uh, I forget the reference, I think it may be in uh, Timothy, talking about that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's our advocate. By the way, why does he have to advocate for us? I'll tell you why. Because there's an accuser accusing us. You realize Satan spends most of his time in heaven? Did you realize that? That's a little shocker, isn't it? <laughs> but, oh, according to the Word of God, yeah. You know, there's coming a day in the tribulation period, he gets kicked out of heaven for good. Right now, you know where he's at? By the way, he never has been, nor ever will be, sitting on a throne ruling hell. Right. Never, ever, ever. Yeah. In fact, he'll be tormented more than anybody will be in heaven. Okay? No, he ain't ruling hell. You know, ain't, ain't all those demons down there doing his little business. Anybody in hell is in torment. Whether they're devils or whether they're people. In torment. He ain't, he ain't ruling hell from a throne. Okay? Sometimes he's on this earth. The Bible tells us that. But most of the time, he's in heaven. You know what he's doing there? Accusing you and I. Oh, God, did you see what your child did today? Oh, they say they belong to you, but look how they act. Look what they say. Look how they treat other people. Look what they watched on their cell phone today, God. Uh-oh. And all of us from time to time have to hang our head in shame. Even though we're children of God, we're guilty. And he accuses us to the Father. But praise God, there's someone between him and the Father. Amen. He's our, hey, you know what that word means? A mediator? A lawyer. A lawyer. He's there saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute, Satan. Wait a minute, Satan. Yeah, you're right, and I may have to bring a little whooping in their life, but hey, they're my child. They belong to me. Right. You can't have them. Yep. No, Amen. Get the hint. And so that's what he's up there doing. He's mediating for us. Thank God for that. Thank God for our Lord and Savior, Amen. Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so the sin offering back in the Old Testament was a picture of temporary covering for sin, but the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, has permanently covered our sin. Now, I say this. I know who my crowd is tonight. And uh, I think I, most of you uh, all give me your salvation testament. But all that to say this, if you don't know for sure that you're saved, you better get saved. Amen. Yeah, he's, waiting with, he's waiting for you, wide open arms. That blood he shed, one he wants to use to uh, cleanse your sin, forgive your sin. And so if you've never been saved, get it settled tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we love you.